You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We are launching a brand new sermon series today. In the build-up to this Transforming Prayer series, we're going to just do three weeks. And I'm not going to tell you what the sermon series is called, but I'm going to ask some friends up who are going to come and read some verses out of the Bible to us. Um, just to get the juices flowing this morning. So do you five want to come up and grab this microphone? This is a sermon series perfect for a new year. And what I've asked these guys to do is just to read out some verses and to emphasize a certain word in each of them. And I think it will become obvious what those words are. So these are, they're not going to come on screen. These guys are just going to bless you by reading these out. Genesis 50, in the life of Joseph, he says to his brothers who've done evil against him, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In Psalm 49, the psalmist says, everyone dies, the wise, the foolish, and even the rich can't stop death. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. We read in Acts 2, Peter is explaining the good news of Jesus to a crowd and says, You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In Romans 5, Paul explains the gospel saying, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then in Ephesians, Paul explains, We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Then says, We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Wonderful. So every one of those verses has the same two words right in the middle, this pivot point. But God... And that's what we're going to do for three weeks, is talk about the gospel in two words, but God. Let me explain a little bit about why this is important, why it's going to be helpful for us, and why we want to start the year this way. But God could be two of the most powerful words in the Bible. It's a short phrase, but it has insane implications for us. Absolutely amazing. Jesus changes lives, and that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. In the middle of mess, in the middle of hurt, shame, challenge, obstacles, in the middle of difficulty, we find this pivot over and over again in the Bible, but God. And it's a totally different perspective. We see hope 
healing, rescue, redemption, wholeness, new life, and the miraculous as God breaks in through these two words, the gospel, but God. So why does looking at this now matter? Why is this going to be helpful? Well, I would pose the theory that the point at which we stop saying, but I, and start saying, but God, things are going to change. Now, it it feels really cliche the first Sunday in a new year to say, have you made a New Year's resolution? So I'm not going to bash New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to say that those are bad necessarily. But we often start a new year in two ways. We often say, here are some things that aren't right in my life. Some of them are just need tweaking. Some of them are really rubbish. But I have got a little bit of a plan as to how I'm going to sort it out. So I'm going to try and be the solution to some of these problems myself. Possible to do. We fall into that trap all the time. The other way is to say, here's a load of stuff in my life that isn't quite right that I want changed in 2019. But I can't do anything about it. You know, you might start a new year just being like, I've I've had a lot of new years, you know. I've just not got any faith or hope that anything's going to change. In both those cases, you have made the pivot in your sentence, the key ingredient in your recipe, you. But I can do this, or but I can't do this. And here's the thing, as we start 2019, we're going to start off for three weeks saying, but God, but God. What about lifting our eyes up to see what God could do, what God wants to do, what he will do? You might have a number of legitimate reasons why you don't think you can see change in 2019. But I'd say no matter how hopeless the situation, we're going to look over the next few weeks that God can change any situation. If you're the type of person who thinks, you know what, change does happen, but it's really gradual. You know, there's no big impact, it's just gradual. I'd like over the next three weeks God to speak to you and to raise your faith. Actually, a lot of what we read in the Bible is God comes in a moment and changes things with this amazing pivot, but God. If you're thinking... Actually, I'm starting this year, I'm not feeling that strong. I'd love to tell you that over the next few weeks, we're going to shake off some of that tiredness and maybe some of that sense of feeling down to see that the gospel is the good news, that our struggles are never the end of the story because of this but God moment. And if you're thinking, I can probably do 2019 on my own, you know, I'm pretty good. In my own strength, I can probably get by. I've got Jesus as my friend. I don't need any big moments. I really want God to speak to you and shake you up to know, actually, he's looking to do much more than you can achieve. He's looking for much more adventure in your life. He's looking to give you faith for some but God moments and miracles this year. A guy called Marshall Siegel, who's an American author, puts it this way, we have much more than a friend in Jesus. The danger in all of our talk about having a real, authentic, down-to-earth relationship with God comes when we trade the almighty, sovereign, intervening creator of the universe for a companion to chat with about life's joys and challenges. We don't really expect him to show up and change anything. We just hope he'll keep us company along the way. So we're going to shake things up a bit. We're going to talk about miracles today. We're going to talk about but God moments. This is going to be about new dreams, new perspectives, new faith. And I think what we'll find Our hope over the next few weeks is we just come to relish these words, but God. And we begin to think about, in my life, how can I look for a a moment where God intervenes? And we will see this week and next week. So this week we're looking about Abraham. Next week we're looking at Moses. The week after we're looking at Paul and how there were pivots in their lives. 
But all three of those stories we will see point to the ultimate moment where God broke in, which is in Jesus Christ. That Some of those verses mentioned, didn't they? Where you were dead in your sin, but God made you alive and seated you with him. And we'll see how all of the beautiful stories of intervention from God in the Bible point to a great intervener, a great Jesus Christ moment. Right, we're going to start looking at Abraham, but I'm just going to put one question on the screen. Are you feeling cynical? Are you feeling cynical? The danger with a sermon series about the miraculous intervention of God is we think, that's all a bit Pentecostal, Rich. I'm not sure about that. It's a bit airy-fairy, all this miracle stuff. Genuinely, I want to just challenge us. If we're sitting here and we've adopted the cynicism of 2019 Londoners, let me say to you, God wants to do miraculous things. And sometimes we just need to shelve our cynicism and say, God, I'm going to raise my eyes up to you and say, what are you going to do? Are you happy to shelve your cynicism for a few weeks? Yeah? Great. Fantastic. Jesus, in Matthew 19, says to his disciples, they say to him, who then can be saved? Jesus looks at them and says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And if you like, what I'm hoping for is a moment where Jesus looks us in the eye and says, you know what? With man, this is impossible. But your situation, the miracle you're hoping for, with God, all things are possible. So let's have a look at Abraham. We're actually going to look at Abraham when he's not called Abraham. He's called Abram. So we're in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look through some verses. The idea is Abram, who then becomes Abraham, has this unbelievable trajectory in the Bible, doesn't he? If you know anything about him, he's just a hero of the faith. He's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, 11 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about Abraham. Jesus talks about Abraham. He's got this amazing end of his trajectory. But actually, what we're going to look at is that over the course of his life, the Bible describes some brutally honest stuff, some brokenness, some problems, some obstacles in his life. And the Bible also describes these moments, these pivot moments of but God, and it changes the course of history. Let's get straight into it. We're going to look at a load of different verses about Abraham in order as they appear in Genesis between kind of Genesis 10 and about Genesis 21, and we're going to build up this picture. So the first thing we learn about Abraham isn't good news. (laughs) The first thing we learn is that his wife, Sarai, was barren. She had no child. It's like the very first thing we learn, it's a problem. What we're going to do is we're going to build up on the left-hand side of the screen here a list of things that actually are quite nitty-gritty things that are in Abraham's life that aren't great. So the first of them is this. Him and his wife are infertile. So this left-hand side of the column is going to build up with a whole load of things that are about how his life has kind of fallen apart a little bit. It means a lot to us now if we're infertile. There may be people in the room and that's something that you're thinking about this year. But also, back then, it would have been a huge thing not to have a lineage, not to have a legacy or anything to leave. And into Abraham's life, and the only thing we know about him is that he can't have kids, there's a moment where God speaks and begins to bring a heavenly perspective. And we read in Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some verses, and we're going to learn how this applies to us now. We're going to try and get into this passage. So God says, you know what? Although the only thing we know about you so far, Abraham, is you're not necessarily going to be someone who's fruitful in terms of your own children. He says, I'm offering you an invitation right from the off. An invitation from God to Abraham to become a source of blessing for the rest of humanity. It's really lavish from God, isn't it? It's really over the top. It's an amazing moment of just God saying, you know what? Although this is true for you, but God, I'm going to change things around for you. In chapter 12 in Genesis, we start to see that God is really very passionate about a couple of things. God's really passionate about Abraham and his wife and their people being blessed. And he's also really passionate about him having his glory on earth. And in chapter 12, we see this moment where he says, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be blessed and I'm going to have my glory here on earth. I mean, there's a whole possible first Sunday of the year sermon just on the fact that God spoke to Abraham and he said, all right, I'll leave, and kind of goes and does it. The obedience of Abraham is amazing, but that's not what we're looking at today. We're looking about how in Abraham's life, God intervenes and these miraculous, amazing things happen. So first of all, we've built up this picture of on the left-hand side, you've got he's infertile. On the right-hand side, there's this invitation from God. But then we read this about Abraham, the next bump in the road. You are a beautiful woman in appearance, he says to his wife. So he and his wife are leaving because there's a famine going to Egypt. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. So say you are my sister. That's always a good verse, isn't it? Pharaoh called Abram and said, so Pharaoh then marries um, Sarai. What have you done? Why have you done this to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Take her and go. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So the next thing that happens after God speaks this amazing truth to Abraham is he makes a pretty bad call. You know, he brings some pretty difficult situations on himself at that point. Bad decisions. In the cold light of day, Abraham is bringing some of the mucky mess of life to himself. Not only that, we then see there's a whole other thing going on in Abraham's life, and that is to do with his family. Genesis 13 says, There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Lot's his brother. Abraham says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? And so into the mix, we also get family complexity. And so the left-hand side is stacking up over here. Can you see this? God's done something for Abraham, but there's quite a lot of reasons that it doesn't look like he's got a miraculous life at the moment. He's infertile, he's made some bad calls, he's got a complex, messed up family in some ways. But God, but God. The next verses say, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. And there's a pivot in the middle of all of this mess, in the middle of all of this kind of rubbish in his life. There's this pivot, and God says, what I call you to is fruitfulness, even in the middle of all of that mess. We know that God fulfills his promises to Abraham. We read about the amazing legacy he leaves 
But God says, in the middle of all of this mess, let me tell you about fruitfulness. Let me tell you about how I'm going to bless and prosper you. So we've got invitation and fruitfulness that God brings. A kingdom, a heaven perspective down to earth. Heaven coming to earth in Abraham's life. But then Abraham in chapter 15 says to God, Behold, a few years have gone by. Behold, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. So what's happened is a few years have gone by and there's been no change. He still doesn't have a kid. And someone, probably a servant in his household, is going to have to take on his inheritance. Abraham says to God, you promised and I don't have a son of my own. And what we read really is, he's saying, I'm past it. And that's how he feels. This guy's old. He is saying, I'm past it. My moment is gone. It could be true that some of us in the room have had a lot of New Year, New Faith sermon series and are just thinking, you know what, I'm a bit, I'm a bit done with all this. I'm a bit past it. And Abraham's feeling that way. He's starting thinking, you know what, years have gone by. Also, for Abraham, there's a sense of shame in this. So culturally, not to have a son, not to have an heir, is, is, is almost an embarrassment. It's, even more so, God's spoken to him and nothing's happened yet. And I just want to throw out there that a sense of shame or a sense of failure and a sense of being past it can be things that we can start a year with, things that we can stack up in our column over here of stuff that's not great in our life. But what happens next? You can guess it's something good and it's going to appear in this right-hand side column. So the next thing we read is, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. If you want a picture of what this whole sermon series is about, it's us getting out from our tent and looking up and saying, God, well, what, what have you got planned? God, what is it that you're going to do? What is the miracle you're going to do? And that's what happens really beautifully pictorially here is Abraham gets called out to go and see. He says that you're going to have a huge legacy, Abraham. Abraham. And he says that there's hope for you. Hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? Hope is a powerful, powerful thing. God might, over the next few weeks, and in this sermon series on transforming prayer, want to just whisper to you, there's hope still. There's hope for you. There's hope for the miraculous. And you know what? He might want to shout it quite loud. He might not just want to whisper it. God's message to you this new year might be, there's hope for you. You look at some of the stuff in your life and you see complexity and difficulty, and God might just want to say to you, but there's hope. There's hope in what I can do. So let's carry on. A few more of these. Genesis 16, we read this. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 
So you thought things were going good, and then we crash back down in Abraham's life to a failed attempt to take back control of what God's doing in his life. Did you remember I said earlier on, there are two ways you can have New Year's resolutions in a way, or two ways you can start a year that are, but I. One of them is, but I, I don't really know how this is going to change. And the other is, but I've got this really good plan. <laughs> you know what? In my strength, I can fix things. And Abraham is a perfect example in this part of Genesis where he's like, things aren't changing, but you know who's going to sort it out. I could be my own savior in this one. Him and his wife come up with this plan out of desperation. Thirteen years pass. So he has his son, Ishmael. Thirteen years pass. And God speaks again. And I want you to think about Abraham, all of this mess in his life. Infertility, a sense of being past it, a failure, the shame. He's tried and he's failed and he's, he's shot for it and he's just missed it. And check out what God says to him next. No longer shall your name be Abraham. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What a promise. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Do you see the grace of God here? He's tried to fix it himself, and he's blown it. He's sitting there without anything to point to for what he's done. And God says, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to promise you even more. I'm going to tell you even more about what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to develop descendants from you that will change history. We know that Jesus then descends from him. And we, in some ways, are spiritual descendants from Abraham. The grace of God. And Abraham falls on his face. We read this. He fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham's just saying, You know what, God, this is impossible. This is impossible. And so if we go back to the to the next slide, really in this left hand column, you've got impossibilities are all that Abraham can see. He's laughing. It's like laughably impossible for God to do what he's said. But we've got all of these things. God's given him now not just hope, but also a vision and told him he's going to be part of his salvation plan. But actually, it's not even just Abraham who thinks it's laughably impossible. Sarah's with him as well. So we read in Genesis 18, this is our last bit, The Lord appeared to him. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah, she's with Abraham. She's saying, This is just impossible. This is just, this is laughably impossible, God. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You want to say that with me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And God's kind of like, oh, guys, 
But God, have you thought about what I can do? Have you lifted your eyes up to see what I can do in your situation? It's fine that you think it's impossible, but God, I can, nothing is impossible for me. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And we read in Genesis 21, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. And there we have it. You can kind of conclude our second column by saying, what God does to break in his performs a miracle. The promised miracle. There is a breakthrough, a breakthrough moment, a break in of God into Abraham's mess. And God says this phrase, doesn't he? Is anything, anything too difficult for God, too hard for God? And that word means, is anything too wondrous? There's nothing too wondrous that I can't do. Okay, to bring this into application for our lives, I'm going to look at these two columns again, just for a minute. I'd love you just to lean in and think, how is this applying to me? So first of all, if we look at this column on the left, really this is a column that says, but I. So you can title that column, but I. Actually, many of us can look at some of the things on here, and if we're honest and take a second, some of these things apply to us at the start of the year. God, I know you want to do great things in my life, but I've made some bad decisions. I'm past it. Things are complicated. There's a sense of shame, or I've tried and I've failed. I'm disappointed. You know what, God, there is just some impossible stuff that I can't change. That's a very but-I column. And the Bible's really honest about Abraham and Abraham, isn't it? You look through those verses and it It's quite brutal about the way he's lived his life. And it's good for us, in a way, to start off our year honest about where we're at, not to pretend or put a facade on that our lives are good. But actually, what we want to do over these next few weeks is just submit all of that to God. Just bring it to him and say, but God, but God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Where are you calling me? What's in the star? If you like, what can I raise my eyes up to heaven for? So here's the thing for you, and this is really the only application I've got for you today. What's the miracle that you're asking God for this year? What is your miracle? If you look at all of that column in your life, all of the stuff that's in need of a fix, in need of change, is there a miracle that you're actually asking God for this year? I'll tell you, I was in a sermon, I think about three years ago, in central London, uh, at a church service, and a very Pentecostal pastor stood up and said, what's the miracle that you're believing God for at the moment? And I thought, oh, that's, I mean, that's, a bit, that's a bit crazy. I just sat there and thought, I'm not sure I'm asking God for a miracle at the moment. I thought to myself, God says all things are possible. If God wants to draw me out of the mundane day-to-day and just say, he could do anything in my life, why can't I think of a miracle that I'm asking him for? How lukewarm have I become as a follower of Jesus, where I'm just happy with what I've got at the moment? Why aren't I asking God for a miracle in my life? 
So take a second, have a think. What about you sitting here today? We've got three weeks of looking at, but God. And here's the thing I want you to think about today. What is the miracle you're asking God for at the moment? What is the miracle that you're asking God for at the moment? Jesus looks us in the eye, a bit like he does with his disciples, and says, with man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus is here today, and he says that to you. You're going to ask him for a miracle. Of course you are. So what about you this year? What about you this next few weeks? What are you going to ask God to do? What's the miracle that you need in your life? And I'm going to believe and I'm going to pray that over the next, well, I guess two weeks left of this sermon series, we see miracles, that we believe God for greater things, and we believe God for what he promises, not just what we can see in our life. And it might be that you can think, you know what, today I'm in chronic pain. I'm facing a year of sickness, and I just want to go over to the prayer team. Mark and Anugra will explain in a second, and they'd love to pray for you for a but God moment today. It doesn't even need to wait for another couple of weeks. <laughs> it could be today that God intervenes into your life. It might be you're thinking, I'm trying to just tell this person about Jesus. It's a family member. It's maybe even a, a son or a daughter. It's somebody in my life, and I can't just change things for them. I need a but God miracle moment. I can think of people like that in my life, and I'm going to say, God, what could you do? And the final thing I want to say is that if you look at this right-hand column, you could say these are all the things that God does for Abraham and Abraham, but actually you could change the title of that column to Jesus. And you could say, actually, what we can say here today is that in the middle of all of this stuff, it's Jesus that offers us an invitation. There is a moment in history where Jesus changes things forever, this but God moment. And out of that, if you're a believer here, you've got fruitfulness. You've got a huge legacy, especially if you're involved in spreading the gospel, the legacy that that will leave. There's hope. There's a vision. You're part of his salvation story And really, there's a miracle. If you're not aware, if you're a Christian here today and you're not aware that a miracle has been performed, one of the verses earlier on with the but God pivot says you were dead and he made you alive. So as we break bread, we're also just going to have this sense of God. I do want a miracle. I do want to ask you and believe you for great things, but I also recognize (laughs) that I was dead. But God raised me, and we're just going to come with a sense of gratitude for that as well. So let me encourage you the next couple of weeks, um, share with your spouse or friend, I'm believing God for a miracle. Let me encourage you, we want to start this year off believing God for amazing things. Shelve your cynicism, and let's go after God for amazing but God moments in our lives.